Welcome to the Show Me Education podcast. Join us as we share best practices and show you the amazing and meaningful work of educators across Missouri and beyond. The mission of the Show Me Education podcast is to share stories that resonate with you and allow you to walk away feeling energized and inspired to improve education in your own community. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the learning. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is episode 17, part two. And the topic today is, of course, continuing our conversation about equity. My name is John Schuler. I'm a Missouri Leadership Development Specialist out of the Central RPDC in Warrensburg. And I'm co-hosting today's episode. My name is Rob Greenhaw. I am the uh, Mel consultant at the St. Louis RPDC. So Mel is Missouri migrant and English language learning. Um, and our guest today, uh, if you listen to last episode, we have our, our same guest. So we're going to be with Lisa Thompson and Sonia Murray. Um, and Lisa and Sonia are both um, consultants with the MLDS, the Missouri Leadership Development System. They are former uh, principals and they, they lead a, a lot of great professional development on equity. Um, I'm gonna share a little bit about how we can connect on social media. Uh, I would love to have you all following us at the Show Me Education, uh, or following the Show Me Education podcast on Twitter. And that handle is at Show Me Education. Uh, you can also find our podcast on Facebook if you search for the Show Me Education podcast. Uh, so make sure you follow us on um, on Twitter and Facebook. Yes. And also just uh, to give, you know, a brief overview of this episode, we're continuing our conversation, like Rob said, with uh, Sonia and Lisa. If you have not listened to part one, uh, you can listen to part two and get a lot out of it, but you should go back and listen to part one. It's a lively conversation about equity in Missouri and how it affects uh, urban, suburban, and rural schools. And uh, it was so good, we uh, could not stop the conversation and, and split it into two parts. So hopefully um, you'll enjoy this episode. Um, and a little bit of extra information about our episode. You can find some information in the uh, show notes of your podcast feed. Um, and uh, you can also find that same information at uh, the website bit.ly forward slash show me edu. So that, again, that's bit.ly forward slash show me edu. And you can access some of the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get started. We're talking about so many great things, you know, regarding <laughs> education. We could have just done an educate, you know, technology, <laughs> equity, you know, <laughs> podcast, I think. But, you know, get like continuing with it. I think that that really when you're when you're talking about. So I guess I um, I, I 
I think of, you know, when we, when we first started with computers and I'm old enough, um, you know, probably older than everybody, I think. And, um, you know, no computers, nothing as a teacher, you know, did all my grading by hand, had, you know, grade books that I added up the grades with a, you know, calculator or, or by hand even. And, um, and so, you know, I've seen a lot, you know, I mean, basically, you know, it's like, you know, seeing, I've just seen a lot. It's like, it's like going from the Flintstones to the Jetsons, you know, in my whole career. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think the, the, the thing that I did when I, when we went one-to-one was I, I thought, what, do te- what would I want to know as a teacher if I, you know, I'm the principal at the time, if I'm coming in and evaluating them, what, what, what is, what am I going to be evaluated on? And I, and I think that a lot of principals, a lot of principals have no, uh, no conceptual understanding of what they should be assessing when it comes to utilizing any technology, let alone, you know, a Chromebook or a, or, you know, an Apple, whatever. And, um, and, and so I I think that was, that's a real big flaw. And when we're talking about, you know, it used to be we had computer labs and it was like, this is computer time. And now every time is computer time. And I feel like, you know, getting swinging back to our equity conversation, I feel like equity right now is still there is still like, let's talk about equity. And it's like, no, let's do Let's, let's practice equity all the time in everything we do, no matter what it is, instead of discussing it as, as if it's, an isolated incident or something like that. And, um, and so I feel like um, we need ways. I, I, I mean, and I guess I'm going off script, Rob, I'm sorry, but do, do oh, are there I, like ways, I know there have to be ways where we can really look at, um, you know, you maybe hit on it a little bit, but when we're talking about equity in, in this, um, you know, in, in our ecology of education, you know, and, and we're looking at, at just our, you know, the nature of what we do, what is like, I know the assessment for uh, technology. I know the assessment for integration and the good, you know, how you, you, it's, you know, a continuum of this is a worksheet basically to this is transformational. Um, But what's the, what's the equivalent with equity when we're talking about equity, no matter what it is. Okay. So I, I'm going to start, Sonia, because I yeah, get to yeah. pop into my head. Yeah. So for me, equity is like reading. If you think about an ELA class, just the skill of reading. So there is some time in the day that's isolated where you really focus on reading and you name it. And the kids know that they're working on reading, that they're working on improving their reading skills. But that is not the only time that you read throughout the course of a school day. You're reading in math you're reading in science, you're reading in social studies, you might have to read at lunchtime because there's posters on the wall. You have to read the recess rules at recess. You are reading all day. It goes throughout your life. You're not always talking about reading, but you're always doing it. And then there are portions of the time where you are specifically talking about reading. It is, equity is the same way for me. So I believe that there should be some intentional time where we're teaching some intentional lessons as it relates to equity, especially with kids as they continue to grow. And those activities and those conversations should grow with the kids. They should be developmentally appropriate for kids as they matriculate right through school. But then there should also be some 
the rest of the day, when we're not having those intentional lessons, what happens is as kids learn and they're understanding, just like when they learn how to read, right? So prior to them knowing how to read, they know that there are some things that they just don't know because they, they will tell you, I can't read. I don't know what that's, they'll tell you, right? And so it's the same thing. So they might get smacked in the face with something, you know, maybe they make a comment that we know might not be very equitable and then they get corrected for it. So they know they did something wrong, but they may not have the full understanding of why it's wrong because they've never really been taught, maybe because of their developmental age. And so they learn from those experiences. So as we give them those intentional lessons and their skills improve, just like as we teach kids phonics and we're working and they learn how to read, pretty soon, and it's very early that it happens, they develop a lens for equity, whether you taught it to them or they picked it up by happenstance. And that guides them into being what kind of people they're going to be. So that's why it's really important that we have those intentional lessons that happen throughout their development, starting at a very young age, because they will fill in the gaps based on what they see going on around them, based on what they see on TV, what they hear in music, what peers are saying, older kids, they will fill in the gaps if we're not being intentional. And then they will start to read situations. So even in schools, they're like, I'm not touching that. It's a hot topic. It's a hot button. We're not touching it at school. I guarantee you they have all kinds of incidents that happen because whether you decide to touch it or not, it's going to come up. And now these kids are learning on their own and it's going to create situations in your building because you're not dealing with it. And so when I think about how do we create a space, just like we have intentional, there's a, a how we teach kids how to read, right? There's a process. We, there's a, it's developmentally appropriate. There's a starting point, And then we build onto that. It's the same way for equity, you know? So you do the same thing. And, and people have to get out of this notion that equity is just about race. Yeah. It's so much more than just race. So it's teaching at the, at the very youngest ages of teaching kids how to choose their friends based on how they're treated, based on their personalities teaching kids how to be a good friend and how to recognize a good friend and what's the difference between a person that's a good friend and a person that's not being a good friend. How do you handle conflict? What, how do you share? Like all of those basic characteristics are really the building blocks for equity for kids at a very young age. And so they get older, the conversations become more clear and they do become more specific and you bring in different types of equity within how does this look when we're talking about race? How does it look when we're talking about gender? How does it look when we're talking about sexual orientation or identity or gender at all of these things as they get older? Because whether you have the conversations or not, they are having the conversations and they're picking it up in the environment and they're going to try to make sense out of it the best way they can make sense out of it. I agree. The only thing I would add is just that um, basically um, there's a lot of miscommunication right now, you know, intentional miscommunication uh -huh. about what it is. And so uh, the only thing I would say is just that there has to be common language before you even start down the journey of saying, okay, how does it look? And uh, as we address trauma, how does it look? And it's naming that it's not just about race. So having mm -hmm. that common definition, that common language around specifically what equity means and saying what it isn't. Mm -hmm. And so we actually at Education Plus did just that. We step, took a step back to determine 
what specifically are we talking about when we talk about equity and what is it not, right? And mm -hmm. so I think starting there and then, because you can't associate actions to any concept, to any idea, to any theory, any thought, unless you clearly have some common language, some common non-negotiables around what it is. Yeah. And if yeah. you start by jumping in the deep end, you know, right. so many people, they give pushback because they start thinking about, oh, equity in schools, you're going to throw my kids into the deep end. Well, that's not really developmentally appropriate. We don't do that with anything we teach. Right. You know, so we don't teach algebra before we teach them number sense. You know, that doesn't make sense. And so everything is, is, is developmentally appropriate. You do it just like everything else. I think the problem is that the adults who are doing it are afraid and yeah. uncomfortable and yeah. sure. And so it goes back to that whole mindset piece because now everything that you believe in all of your experiences and all right. of your baggage is kind of clouding how you decide to do this. With and school. one way to get people to jump on a bandwagon is with fear. Yeah. So like if you say enough things to incite people to be afraid, they're going to believe it and then not take action. So uh, yeah. fear can be stifling and it can cause people to pause and not take the necessary steps that they need to. And so I just think in, in, in this in this age, there's just a lot of work that we have to undo, that we have to change because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of miscommunication provided but our students deserve and they want those conversations and they're not they afraid. Really, they're afraid they're not afraid of the conversation right. they're not afraid to ask the questions because they have natural curiosity about things so the only time they really demonstrate fear is when they get a reaction that they know that right. said something wrong or this must be wrong or this must be bad because they're reading your reaction right it's not because that in, that they're naturally afraid of it they're not they're curious yeah, and approaches to equity have been reactional. Like they have, like everybody reacts, the situation happens, and then now we're forced to talk about it. We can actually be proactive, put out the correct communication, the correct information, align around it, and then we can align our actions around the truth, around mm -hmm. ways to really help students and adults without inciting fear. Yeah. Um, Lisa, when you started talking about equity not always being connected with, with race and also about uh, even with young children talking about, you know, choosing friends who are treating you with kindness and with respect. Um, I also kind of thought like teaching kids to, to advocate for themselves, right? So mm -hmm. teaching kids like it's okay to tell, tell an adult or tell a friend like, hey, this doesn't work for me because yes. I would prefer to do this this way because it helps me to do this. Or yes. like for even when we talked about the the middle school kids who drop their kids off, who, who drop their mm -hmm. younger siblings off, to be able to communicate with the school and say, hey, um, I really do want to be successful in these classes. I'm not able to be there because of this. Can we work together to find another way for me to complete this? But just yes. saying, like everyone has the right and should have the opportunity to be successful in school. And if you're not having that success, it's okay to communicate why and, and come up and like sort of brainstorm with each other about what are solutions that, that could create. And Rob, you're right. And the reason that kids don't do that is because they have learned that they should be ashamed of those obstacles. They have learned that there is shame attached to the fact that they have to drop their siblings off and their parents can't do it. That that's somehow not normal 
or it means they're poor and they're shamed with poverty because maybe that means that my parents are lazy or they are not educated or they so all of these all of that is really rooted in shame and in order for us to alleviate that and really teach kids how to advocate for themselves then we first have to let them know that you're okay with just the way that you are that everybody has something different and so in order for you to get your needs met then you need we have to really work on them being okay with that and making sure our environment is not putting that feeling of shame on them and I think a lot school leaders and teachers don't understand that they really are promoting that shame with some of the structures that we have in place. And I, I think developing teachers, helping teachers to think outside the box, to think like mm-hmm. just because we've always done it this particular way does not mean it always has to be done this way. And mm-hmm. it's okay to think of solutions that we've never thought of before, provide mm-hmm. opportunities that, that previously didn't exist. So I go um, back to intent versus impact. You can intend to do something, but you always have to be reflective on what impact is this having. And so in many cases, the intent is never malicious. Teachers, educators right. are great people, right? That's why we went into our profession. But um, you just have to think about, okay, I may intend to say this or do this action, but what impact is it having? Wow, I you know it's kind of, I I got follow up questions that I think of and I, there's so much learn, new learning and new, you know uh, reinforced learning or overlearning as Mike Rutherford would say you know uh, that that I'm just um, I'm kind of stunned into silence, <laughs> but, which is an unusual thing for me. Um, all right, so I guess um, my my next question is uh, what can what action can a school leader take immediately? to address equity issues in their school? Oh boy, I'm ready for that one. Uh, Number one, flip the narrative. Flip the narrative. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, they miss so much in school. They miss so much. Change it to say, what do I need to do to help students be successful in school? Like change it to that because then if you approach and utilize that narrative, you will take the lens to provide those equitable, actionable steps to help students to be successful. That's number one. Number two is build common language around what equity is, what equitable practices is, so that that fear doesn't cloud the actions and the ability to move forward in getting students what they need and what they deserve. So that's where, uh, and because the school leader sets the tone for the building. If you want to or not, the school leader really does set the tone. And so uh, when their mindset is clear and they're moving and grounding in their why and leading everybody in that school around a common vision and a common focus around equity in general, traction can start to be built within the school. You know, I'm gonna follow that up, Sonia, with just saying, that in addition to that, I think that the school leader needs to be transparent about what they're doing. Oh, like sure. not, not try to do a Jedi mind trick on people, right. but really just, you know, say, here's something I'm going to work on. Here's, right. here's the vision for this. And I'd like to be held accountable for it as well. Yeah. When I'm not exactly. doing that, I want to know, I want someone to point out, I'm not doing that. And give Which everyone is It has to come from the why. Because when yeah. you come from your why, that's your conviction. That's your purpose. That's your meaning. That's why you do this work. And so it's going to be transparent. 
is going to be cleared because it's what you philosophically believe. Yeah, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. When I think about that question, my first step would to ask those school leaders, who's not successful? Yeah. Do you even know who's in your gap? Yes. Who's not being successful? So because sometimes when you're in it, you can't see it because you're a part of the system, right? That has kind of created this inequitable situation for some students. And so it's very difficult to see it, especially when so many people have the mindset that equity is about race. If they're in a community that's really homogeneous, then they'll think, well, we don't have any equity issues. We don't have any students of color or we're all, we're 100% students of color. So we don't have any equity issues, right. not just about race. And so first you have to look at your data and say, who's not being reached? Mm-hmm. Then you have to look for patterns. So this is not who's being reached on this assessment, but let's look across the data and see historically which kids are falling in these gaps. And that's where you're gonna find your groups that are not being treated equitably. That's where you're gonna find it. So after you look at your data and you find out who they are and you assess those patterns and you see which groups keep bubbling to the top, that's where you have to have that transparent conversation with your staff. And you have to put that information in front of them and then you guys have to, you have to look at your environment and say, now, why is this? Why does this happen repeatedly? What are all of the circumstances that are creating, that have created these gaps for these particular groups of kids across time? So whether it's students with IEPs, students on free and reduced lunch, if it falls into racist, whatever it is, and you have to be willing to see it, you know, got to take our rose colored glasses off and Beyond all of my teachers work so hard and we're all good people and we all love kids. Okay, we say that when the meeting starts and then we have to push that to the side mm-hmm. and data and say, what are we missing? And now why is this happening? And Lisa, that, that reminds me of something that you told me once, which I think was when you were a principal and you were saying how um, you wanted to create a more equitable educational experience for the students in your school, uh, in particular, uh, when it comes to discipline practices, mm-hmm. uh, that you wanted to be more proactive and, and and not rather than suspending, but kind of mm-hmm. anyway, I remember you saying like, and then you looked at your data and you felt like, wow, what's actually happening versus my beliefs is not matching up. And it's kind of like, if this is really what I'm all about, then I need to make this change in the data too. Could you- 100% true. Yes, yeah. we were looking at our data and I know- that African-American boys are disciplined at a much harsher rate. And that's across the board in just about every school district. I'm very aware of this. I do equity work all the time. I talk about it. I give people strategies. But yet and still, as a principal, when I looked at my data, who do you think bubbled to the top of the discipline data? Yeah. African-American boys were suspended at a higher rate in my building than anyone else. And so I was falling into that same norm. But when you're in the midst of it, it's very difficult to see, even though they know, like I knew so much about this and it was still happening. And so I have to look at it and say, why is this happening? Here's the group, who are the specific kids? And now let's get them down into our care team meetings and let's talk about what are we doing? What interventions do we have in place? Where are they having the most problems? And now what structures am I gonna put into place to support this group of kids? Yeah suspending them at a higher rate than anyone else. Which directly speaks to unconscious bias, right? And that, uh, you know, despite you knowing that, you still 
that group would specifically bubble up consistently. And that's what's happening uh, in many cases in classrooms. We talk a lot about the iceberg and how uh, what's underneath the iceberg is what ship sinks the ships, right? So it's all those mental models, those um, that implicit bias, those beliefs, all those things, a sense of purpose, belonging. Sometimes um, as educators, we look at what's at the top of the iceberg and we don't look at what's beneath. And so it's just, I believe um, actions that leaders, school leaders can take is to go back to their core uh, reason for being the leader of that building and then using data, just as Lisa said, to make some real serious, uh, take some real serious conclusions about what are necessary next steps to make sure that all students are successful within our school. And, and we have to remember. Yeah, I've consistency said impact versus uh, yeah. intent. And, and equity, what impact we have. Equity yeah. is giving kids what they need. Right. Not giving everybody the same thing. So in looking at that group, what did these particular group of boys need? What does the support need to look like for them? It may not look the same for everyone else, right? Everyone else is not getting suspended at the same rate. And so it really has to, you have to be willing to make that many shifts. Be, you have to look at your day. You have to start there. It has to start. Yeah. With well, and, and I 100% uh, agree with everything you, you all have said. You know, when I was a principal in middle school, it's just ugh, middle school, you know, I mean, crazy, weird discipline, you know, uh, situations all the time. And, you know, I did not, and, and I, and we had urban students who transferred in and for whatever reason, we did not have, um, our, our, the majority of our discipline issues were not with African-American or any students of color for that matter. Um, but I did look at, at the discipline data overall. And it was like, it told a picture, like you were saying, Sonia, you know, the iceberg, you know, it told a picture on yeah. one level, but you had to go the next, at least the next level down. So it's like, Okay, so, you know, in Lee Summit, where I live, you know, um, it was pointed out that, you know, African-American boys were getting had much higher discipline. And I thought, okay, that's one point of data. What's the next thing? Like, what are what are the situations? Is this one kid with 20 referrals or is it 20 kids with one referral? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just like it just wasn't enough information for me to go. Okay. I mean, to just say blindly, I mean, that's a problem, you know, uh -huh. in and of itself. But then there was no like solution. The solution was nobody talked about what are we going what, to, what, what's the next step? I'm like, well, the next step is looking at the why and looking at the who, you know, and there's, and their situations, because like you said, Lisa, it's not about giving everybody exactly the same thing. It's about finding out what the, that person needs in order to be successful in a school setting whoever that kid is, uh -huh. you know, and, and I just um, feel like we're not going deep enough because we are, again, I, I'm going to go back to my checklist analogy, you know, like as a principal, you just want that problem gone. You know, you just want, I solved it. Yay. I, I, I learned that, you know, this is disproportionate. It's like, and? Yeah. <laughs> no. oh, and sometimes we justify it. Like I could have yeah. easily justified that. I could have said, well, my building is 99.9% .9 African-American. So my one white kid didn't get suspended. So of course, yeah. African-Americans are getting suspended at a higher rate. But I had to go down that pyramid and say, okay, yeah, my building is almost 100% Black, but boys are getting suspended at a yeah. much higher rate than girls. And when I look at this particular grade level, they're mostly coming from this grade level. And so 
and all the, the data across the building. So what's going on with this group of boys in this particular grade level, what's missing? Yeah. If I solve this problem, my discipline data is gonna be reduced drastically because yeah. it's being created by this group of kids, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's what we have to do as leaders. I think that's yeah. such a huge thing to, yeah. to not allow yourself to justify it away or to you know rationalize like, oh, well, right. this is just because of that, but actually say, what is the cause and what can I do to change this? And this is my responsibility as a school mm -hmm. leader. And I refuse, you know, shared responsibility. And We're failing this particular group. We need yeah. to do better. So even looking at teaching and learning specifically, there's a stat that um that I've been using recently. And it's it's really resonating with me that 82% of teachers uh, are using the current standards, right? 82%. However, um when uh, some are making the decision back to intent versus impact, they're saying, but not my kids, not my students. So the, um, the, the standard is being watered down in some instances to help students to find success. Well, the backlash of that or the what's beneath the iceberg and the reason why that is happening is that um, sometimes, and, and not maliciously, uh, do I inherently believe that students can do it? And so am I watering down the curriculum or watering down the standard or giving them activities that are less than grade level expectation because my own bias is telling me that I'm not going, they're not going to be able to accomplish this. And so when we talk about how it's all connected, because it is really all connected, um, I think we just have to take a pause and uh, school leaders, educators, everybody, um, bias, as we always talk about, happens automatically. I mean, we wouldn't be able to get through a day if we didn't process all the information that came our way, but it's what we do with it. And so once we make that quick assessment of a situation that comes our way, it's the steps or the actions that we take to say, oh my goodness, I'm going to advance the educational experiences for this student or not. And if I don't, what harm am I causing them by not giving them access? And so, Sonia. All right, Sonia, I'm getting on my soapbox. Okay. <laughs> I almost forgot to, to get on my soapbox for this particular question. <laughs> what have you guys started? You guys know we love this stuff. Lisa and I talk about this stuff all the time. All the time. And this so is, this is a thorn. It. This is definitely a thorn in my side. I think one of the major issues is when schools are more concerned about control than they are about educating. Yeah. So when we talk about what actions can school leaders take immediately, let's look at what those structures are in your school. And are those yeah. promoting curiosity? Are they promoting creativity? Are they promoting an opportunity for some hands-on learning for kids to be creating, problem-solving, thinking critically? Are they about maintaining um, discipline and control in, in the school? You know, so are we having silent lunches? Are we telling kids how to walk down the hall? Are we monitoring their conversations and, and, and not allowing them to have open conversations, to discuss current events, to give opinions, to say what they think? Do they have a voice in your building? You mm -hmm. have any type of student government structure where kids can say and give their opinions on how they feel the, the school is being run. So mm -hmm. is it being run like a school or is it being run like an institution? Mm -hmm. And when segregated classrooms were looked at, classrooms with mostly white students tended to have like 54% more grade level assignments, four times uh, 
the, of the grade level lessons were more aligned and 23% uh, of their activities were engaging. And so back to Lisa's point, it's about uh, control in some schools. And some, many times it speaks directly to students of color because mm -hmm. um, it's easier to give the um, really like that, that rote learning, uh, the memorization, the stand in line, the, all those things, because that does um, really create that environment of control. And so I think mm -hmm. it's taking a step back to say, am I allowing, and this is speaking to school leaders and teachers, am I allowing engagement? Am I allowing students to be creative in their thinking? Am I putting more of the productive struggle on them? So like all and of you that- You can answer that with three basic questions. I just had this conversation yesterday and I said, have a meeting with your staff and ask them, how does learning look? If I walked into your classroom and learning was happening, what would I see yeah. It's in your classroom? How does learning sound? What would I hear if I walked into your classroom? I can tell you I've gone in observations of kindergarten classrooms and you can hear a pin drop. That should never happen. Yeah. Never be a time where you have a 25-year-olds and you can hear a pin drop. And Lisa, okay. you, you and I have talked about this because I told you like, as a new teacher, uh, I was a first grade teacher, then a second, mm -hmm. and it was my impression as a new teacher that a good teacher meant my class was silent. A yeah. good teacher meant in the hallway, my kids mm -hmm. had their hands together and they were on the colored squares with a square between right. them. And it was all mm -hmm. about this compliance stuff. Um, yes. And right. And I wasn't yeah. developing academic mindset. I wasn't was, developing student. And that, that last question mindset. is, how does learning feel? And it's yeah, because good. learning does not always feel good. Yeah. Sometimes you should be uncomfortable. If you yeah. are and being pushed into the learning zone, you should be uncomfortable because mm -hmm. you're taking a risk. So if you're not ever pushed to the point of discomfort, I can guarantee you you're not learning anything. Right. Yeah. And so how does that look for kids? And so you, as a leader, you need to get those questions answered from your staff. And then you guys need to come to some agreements. Sonia, mm -hmm. how many times have we asked um, leaders, what are your instructional uh, what are your priorities? priorities? Yeah. What and so and then if this is your instructional priority, how does it look in yeah. your building? Do teachers know what that looks like in the classroom? And these three questions are critical because yeah. if, if you're not seeing and hearing and feeling those things, you're teaching for compliance. Yeah, you want to teach for compliance. Right? And Rob, to your point, when when you said that, I was like, oh yes, it was even like uh, one of the act, one of the items on the on the look for quiet and orderly classroom i remember like i right. remember it being on there right and it, it connects with what you're saying about the rote learning right so like yeah. yeah what's best for my kids is for them to work in groups and collaborate and decide what they want to learn about and and to for me to give them some freedom right but uh -huh. if my impression is being a good teacher means my kids are sitting in their chairs and quiet that's then right. oh i can't allow them to get out of their seats right. and go and that's talk right. about it. i mean like no no yeah, no sure. that'll be bad teaching right. and then so, if you throw those mental models in there on top of that if you have a room full of black and brown children then it's then they might misbehave yeah and i'm gonna lose control of this situation right. and the behaviors are going to happen you mm -hmm. know i think that we really have to check that when we talk about and these are things that leaders can do immediately you just ask yourself those three questions and you push into classroom. Mm -hmm. What do you see? What do you hear? How are kids feeling about what they're doing? Do yeah. you see anybody being pushed 
beyond their comfort zone into the learning zone. Mm -hmm. See them wrestling with what it is that they're learning. Because if they're not wrestling, there's a such thing as productive struggle. Struggle. Yeah. And ask ask yourself, (laughs) who's doing the heavy lifting in the classroom? Because if the teacher is going home tired every day, (laughs) which, you know, of course you're going to have some sense of that. But the students should be going home just as tired because Mm -hmm. they've had to productively struggle. And they have had to do some of the heavy lifting. And now that we know that there has been a disruption in teaching and learning at this point, and that students are coming back uh, with some level of of unfinished learning, right? Mm -hmm. And there has been some unfinished teaching. uh, There is going to have to be a cognitive lift put on the students for them to have access to that grade level content. What we don't want to do is go back and give them uh, two grade levels of information is below their current level. Right. Well, and I think we have level. to, those leaders also have to be comfortable in holding up some of the teachers who are doing those things, but it doesn't always look. So for example, you might have teachers that are all about promoting that curiosity and their kids are all over the place and their rooms are noisy and sometimes a mess. Mm-hmm. These are not the ones we highlight. When we have visitors come to the building, we don't take them to that room. We take them to Miss Shirley's room, because we know the kids are going to be quiet and the room is going to be clean and everybody's going to be having their paper and they're going to be writing, right? Because we think that that's what it looked like, like that's good education. So we're going to have to learn how to start lifting up some of these teachers who are being creative, who are promoting that curiosity, who are bringing out the best in their students to say, look, this is okay too. Because a lot of times they they don't last, they burn out because they don't get support. And their colleagues look down on them and they just, they don't feel right doing the compliance thing. And then they feel like they don't have a place in education. So we're going to have to get better at holding those teachers up and saying, no, really, this is, this is how it should be done. Yeah. 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 Totally agree. Um, Guys, fantastic conversation. I feel like we could talk, we could talk all day about this. How are you going to slice this? Yeah, but that's what I want to know. You hit all of our hot buttons today. Um, I think just a final closing question, uh, and it could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be an article, it could be whatever you want, it could be a person. Uh, what is one resource that you would recommend for an educator who's looking to learn more about equity? Um, so anyone who Educational wants equity? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would say um, I recommend Zaretta Hammond's book. Um, I, I, I definitely recommend her book. It's a culturally uh, responsive teaching, culturally relevant teaching in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would definitely recommend her book. Okay, awesome. I, I'm for beginners. Now this is, if, if you just entered into this conversation, I would recommend the belonging through a culture of dignity because mm-hmm way that it's explained, I think is very easy to understand. And most people understand the value of dignity um, for anybody. So is that, is that Crown Apple? Is that that's Crown Apple, um, Floyd Cobb and John Crown Apple. Okay. Uh, Sonia, you took the one I, I, I really, uh, <laughs> when I read the culturally responsive teaching in the brain, it really yeah. kind of changed yeah. my whole view. Yeah. On, on it. Also, yeah. It's an easy read. It was like an interesting book. Like it wasn't slow at all. I, I enjoyed yeah, it. but it's um, so powerful. 
in that she has a lot of, I mean, she was ahead of her time, clearly, like, yeah. because the book is a little, I mean, it was 2013, 2014, maybe, maybe, maybe a little later, but, um, but some of the ideas that she's talking about directly imply, you know, directly connect to what we need to be focused on, focusing on right now. So I would, I would recommend that for, for leaders and teachers. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank thank you both for being here today. Um, I know we've all had a great conversation here and literally could keep going on this, but we do need to close it up at some point. And Rob and I'll have to decide whether to break this up into two parts or not. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Do not apologize. But this is this is just fantastic. And um, it has been fantastic. And I've learned a lot, which is the highest compliment I can I can tell anybody when I have a conversation. So um, anyway, thank you again for taking time out. I know you guys are on vacation and getting ready to go on vacation. And so um, really appreciate your time. Lisa, take me with you. Time to go to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, well, totally thank you out. guys for having us. This was great. Yeah. It was yeah. so much fun. Yeah. Like, can we do this weekly? I'm ready for vacation now you guys gave me a chance to vent <laughs> I can't really talk to Michael about this stuff like he's like okay that's nice let me tell you all about this right yeah, yeah. You, have, you have to know about like this this life yeah yeah, yeah. this life we lead right <laughs> I'm gonna thank you guys so much All right. Uh, what an awesome conversation with Sonia and Lisa. I really want to uh, send a thank you to both of them for being our guests on last week's episode and also on today's episode. Also, big thank you to all of you out there listening. Um, you guys have been an amazing audience all school year. Thank you for uh, tuning into today's episode also. Agree, Rob. And if you all have a favorite resource on equity you'd like to share with us, just tag us on social media. Hashtag show me education. Uh, and definitely connect with all of us on social media. So um, our guests today were Sonia Murray. She can be found on Twitter. Her handle is at Sonia L Murray 2. Uh, and our other guest was Lisa Thompson. Her Twitter handle is at Thompson71. Um, I would love to interact with our listeners on Twitter. My handle is at Rob Greenhaw. And John, how can, how can people connect with you? I can be reached on Twitter. And my handle is at jshuler2. That's J-S-C-H-U-L-E-R-2. So our next episode for the Show Me podcast is going to be episode 18, and it's going to air on May 4th. All right. Uh, thank you, listeners, again for tuning in. What a great conversation today was. Uh, I hope you guys all got something out of it. Uh, until then, keep up the great work, Missouri educators. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Education podcast. Be sure to share your learning from the show with others. The Show Me Education podcast is a collaborative project between the Regional Professional Development Centers of Missouri with a vision of sharing best practices 
and showing you the amazing and meaningful work of educators across Missouri and beyond. Please subscribe to the show to catch all the wonderful content coming your way.